Hey, Todd, how's your internet? Because we just lost you for like a minute. Norman, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. I haven't lost anyone. I can can hear you guys great. Oh, you could hear... Norman, you could hear Todd fine? Yeah. Don't blame my internet. All right, I was just checking. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) Okay, so... And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week we are joined by Norman Mitchell. Hello, Norman. Hi, everybody. And we're going to be talking about Green Lantern from Green Lantern Sinestro, a comic book storyline from 2011 to 2012. So, Norman, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast? Uh, So, I am one of the two hosts of Lord of the Rings Minute. It's hosted by myself and my wife, uh, Cassandra Fredrickson who is a guest on this show already when you guys were talking about Fellowship of the Ring and Frodo. Uh, and we go into a lot of detail some of the time and off on tangents most of the time, but we have good fun. So, Yeah, it is a, a great podcast. It's one of the Movies by Minute podcasts. Uh, it was inspired by Star Wars Minute, one of my favorite podcasts. And just a quick uh, another pitch, our producer Andrew has Disney Animation Minute Essentials coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. They're... Current, he and his wife, Keshar, are currently looking at Snow White, minute by minute. And a few weeks ago, we had uh, Norman and Cassandra on for that. Um, that'll be releasing in a few more weeks. Okay. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It was. Well, I enjoyed it. We're all one big, happy family now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I know. I was really sad I couldn't be on you guys' uh, Fellowship of the Ring episode already. I was uh, working that day. We are glad that we can have you on to talk about Green Lantern. Uh, Green Lantern is one of those characters that was in our, we'll get to it at some point, and once you request it, it's like, now's the time. We are talking about Green Lantern now. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could, uh, I'm glad I facilitated that. Yes. Um, this particular comic book, uh, again, called Green Lantern Sinestro, it was written by Jeff Johns, and it was drawn by Doug Menke. I believe that is how that is pronounced. I might be wrong, though. Uh, so, guys, how did we all come to Green Lantern? Either the character or just Green Lantern Sinestro, this particular storyline. Todd, do you want to go first? <laughs> so, I I think it's funny when we have these uh, Movie by Minutes people on, because they're used to talking about one thing in great detail about which they know a ton. <laughs> and I am used to talking about, in very little detail, stuff about which I know almost nothing. <laughs> And uh, Green Lantern is one of those things. Um, I I had heard of Green Lantern before it was requested on this podcast. Um, so there's that. Uh, I saw a um, an animated film, like a Justice League animated film on Netflix. Uh, was it was Green Lantern ever voiced by Nathan Fillion, or am I making that up? He was in uh, Green Lantern. Emerald Knights. It was a bunch of short stories about Green Lanterns. Mm, this was a long one. Was it First Flight? It was It was him with a bunch of other people, and they were, you know, uh, Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, and they were out doing Justice League things. Oh, okay. I believe that they were trying to... Uh, Superman to gets shot ones. by a kryptonite bullet at one point. Was it, it... That makes me think it's probably Justice League Doom. I'm thinking about the ones that have been on Netflix. Bane was probably there... Anyway, Green Lantern was there. And the thing that I remembered is Green Lantern made something with his ring. And I was like, oh, that's what the Green Lantern does. (laughs) uh, That's interesting. Um, 
He can just kind of make anything. He can just make anything with his ring. That's uh, it's kind of a cool, a cool thing. <laughs> that's really all I knew about Green Lantern before I read this uh, today. So, and I yes, he's yeah. often voiced by Nathan Fillion when he's Hal Jordan, and then there's other Green Lanterns as well. Yeah, I guess uh, for any listeners who are maybe as unfamiliar as Todd, we should point out Green Lantern, a DC Comics superhero uh, who has a power ring that can manifest. Anything he can imagine, basically. He makes power str- or light, hard, hard, light, hard light constructs. Hard light constructs out of his ring. So if he can imagine it, he can build it. Yes. I have, a, I have some questions about the mechanics of this, but let's, uh, let's get to those maybe a little oh, later. Oh, I have answers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as, uh, as do I, but maybe to a lesser degree. Norman, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what about you? How did you come to Green Lantern? So I came to Green Lantern in general, probably the way a lot of people around my age did, with uh, the Justice League cartoon that was on Cartoon Network and Justice League Unlimited. So my first exposure to Green Lantern and some of the greater lore of it came through the lens of the Justice League Unlimited cartoon and Jon Stewart as Green Lantern. And I think that the Green Lantern power ring and like this power of imagination made real is so cool. And so I started reading Green Lantern comics here and there. And Hal Jordan is actually my favorite uh, DC comic book superhero. So that's kind of my background with Green Lantern. Yeah. Um, when I was growing up reading, I read a lot more Marvel comics, uh, but I became aware of DC comics through trading cards. Uh, this was, you know, pre-internet where you could just go look up a character's history on Wikipedia. You got a trading card that had, like, their strength, their powers, their intelligence rating, and with, then, like, with a... very, very arbitrary <laughs> scales and metrics for yeah, all right. of these things. And, like, a two-sentence description of who this character was. And that's how I discovered there's a character out there called Green Lantern, and I remember thinking when I was a kid, that's a dumb name. <laughs> <laughs> He's just named after the symbol on his chest. <laughs> yeah, and Lantern? Like, I understand green arrow that's the thing he shoots arrows what does a lantern do uh but as i uh read more green lantern i uh he's never been like my favorite favorite dc character but i really do enjoy his stories and i think the idea of this power ring is just a perfect uh thing for comic book artists to be able to like really dig in like and let their imagination like for the writers and artists just let their imagination go wild to have this power ring uh and it's just a wonderful, wonderfully imaginative uh, aspect of su- the superhero genre. And so I, I love that. And I did, uh, there's a book out there called, uh, if I can do a little so- self-promotion, called Green Lantern and Philosophy. And I do have a chapter in there where I dug into Hal Jordan's uh, motivations and how they shift at different points in the character's long history. Uh, I did not know that existed. I will actually have to look that up uh, as I am very much a philosophy person. Oh, all so- right. I just did some digging in the recesses of my mind, also known as Wikipedia, and it was Justice League Doom that I watched, and Green Lantern is voiced by Nathan Fillion. Okay. So, well I like done. I, you guys, it just amazes me that I can say something, 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 and then you go, oh yeah, it's probably Justice League Doom. <laughs> you guys are the best. I would definitely suggest, if you like what you read in this Green Lantern volume, to go look up uh, Green Lantern First Flight. I think it's probably one of the better DC animated movies out there. Cool. All right. Uh, quick ad read here. Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com and you can get a free audiobook download and a 30 day free trial by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist where over 180,000 titles await you to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or if you are going old school, your MP3 player. Now, before we get into uh, the full discussion of this uh, comic, uh, some trivia 
I guess let's start with Green Lantern trivia. The first Green Lantern character appeared in 1940, but it was not Hal Jordan. Uh, and his name was Alan Scott, and he was created by Bill Finger and Martin Nodell. So this is in the golden age of comics in the 1940s. <laughs> and there's a lot more mystic uh, origins that happened in that era compared to in the Silver Age in the 19, uh, late 1950s and early 1960s, where it's a lot more science fiction based. And this Green Lantern had kind of a, a vaguely a mystical oriental origin, uh, and his ring was more magic-based. Whereas uh, in when Hal Jordan, who is the Green Lantern that is in this story, he was created by John Broom and Gil Kane in 1959, and he had a very straight-up sci-fi origin at this point. Uh, an alien crashed onto Earth and was dying, and his ring, his power ring, sought out a, hu- uh, a, a human who would be worthy of this power ring, and he selected Hal Jordan. He needed uh, a human that would have very little fear, and Hal Jordan was a test pilot. And uh, then Hal Jordan got inducted into this kind of intergalactic peacekeeping corps called the Green Lanterns, who each have a power ring and each have a sector of the galaxy that they are assigned to protect from intergalactic foes. So much more uh, alien sci-fi version of the superhero than, you know, Batman protecting Gotham City from bank robbers <laughs> kind of situation. Uh, and I don't know Sinestro, why that name, but that name, Bill Finger, yeah. it like brings me so much joy. <laughs> It's just such a great name, Bill Finger. Sounds like a like a like a pen name or or a name from a novel or something. He was. I, really I like mean, it. it is a good, great name for an artist uh, or or a writer or an artist. Good name, then. creator. Yeah, creator. Uh, but he was a co-creator of Batman with Bob Kane. Now, legally, Bob Kane is listed as the sole creator of Batman until very recently. I think they got shifted. I, that- I think recently it's at, at if not legally updated, it is very. Pop culturally updated. Yeah, at this it's point. culturally updated. Uh, the reason Bob Kane has been listed as the sole creator of Batman is because in the early days of crazy comic book making, um, Bob Kane had a rich dad who got him a lawyer <laughs> and <laughs> looked over the contracts, <laughs> whereas most other comic book creators just signed whatever was put in front of them. And so Bob Kane had a very protective contract uh, about about Batman, uh, though it really does seem like. Uh, most comic historians say Bill Finger probably had more to do with the tone and uh, the Batman that we know today than than Bob Kane did. Hmm. And, and Bob Kane was also uh, in, in the classic style of comic book creators a shameless self promoter. Like he wrote a book called <laughs> Batman and Me that was his autobiography about creating Batman by himself. <laughs> I I have heard that towards the end of his life, um, he very much wishes he had he had, he could go back and give Bill. At least a little bit of credit. A little more credit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to throw Bob King completely but, under the bus. It is uh, something about the comic book industry does have a lot of people who self promote and maybe overinflate their role in certain characters. His, I think, his gravestone says the creator of Batman. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, mine is going to say the creator of the protagonist podcast. So I hope that's okay <laughs> with you guys. Just by your <laughs> no, no mention of us. Just <laughs> sole creator of the. Protagonist. You can put it on yours too, and we'll let people figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like they'll have an archive they can look at. <laughs> um, okay, and this storyline, this uh, Green Lantern storyline, is part of a DC Comics relaunch that was called The New 52. Um, comic book continuity is wonky, and it's yes. hard to keep track of. <laughs> it's an and... understatement of this century. <laughs> yes. yeah. So a lot of these characters have been going, I mean, since the 1930s for some of the most iconic superheroes. And... 
it's clear that at times there was no intent for these to be like massive continuing stories. And then there are other times where like, no, these are going to be massive continuing stories and everything's going to count. And we're going to keep track of everything that's ever said and every character that ever appears. And that gets um, burdensome. Right. <laughs> and so um, famously in 1984, I believe it was, there was DC did crisis on infinite earth. So I might be off by a year on that, but they um, did a storyline that completely reset their continuity. And they said, Coming out of Crisis on Infinite Earth, we are completely rebooting everything, so we're going to get Superman number one, and this is the first Superman adventure on Earth. And they do Batman Year One that tells the first adventures of Batman. And it was meant to say, new readers, you can catch on, you know, jump on board right now, and you're going to read every story that counts for Superman and Batman and Green Lantern and for all their characters. These are now their brand new um, origins and continuities. And then this new 52, which was in 2011, I believe, it was kind of a weird half <laughs> relaunch of their continuity where they said, here's a new narrative universe, new continuity, but we're going to keep referencing some of the stories we liked that we told before, and we're not going to really tell you which ones count and which ones don't. So in this new 52 universe, Superman died at some point at the hands of Doomsday, but maybe it was the death of Superman comic book that was published in 92. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> uh, and so characters, it's not like they're, they're all getting new origin stories. They're just kind of starting new narrative thread lines and they have some history, but you don't know exactly how much history. Uh, I have a question for both of you, or well, the three of you. Um, so, as a like a longtime comic book reader, how do you feel when they do this big reset? Right. Is that like Andrew is, is like, ready to say great. something? <laughs> it's like great. I'm so glad. Or do you feel like like they're copping out for the noobs like me who don't know anything? Um, I okay. Producer Andrew's still getting. Yeah, like, 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 let me, let me, let me piece it together. But are you so irate that you just can't, you can't even express how you feel about this? There are parts of it I like because I like knowing when the jumping on point is. If there are series that I have not been paying to collect for a certain amount of time, Mm -hmm. Um, and now it's like, okay, fresh set, new number one. That's great. I get a, you know, I get a pickup without feeling left, left off. but I also grew up loving the idea of this rich, deep narrative that there was so much to. Um, but I kind of lost the ability to relish in that when, like, my brothers Joseph and John moved out and took their collections with them. <laughs> and so I couldn't read uh, every issue of Exiles from their, their binders anymore and things like that. Uh, so I would probably just prefer an easy way to access the long runs of story and a better explanation of what they are and where they fit in historically. Um, how, how do you, how do you feel about this Norman? Um, for the most part, uh, I think new 52 was handled pretty well, but I can definitely see where new number ones are problems for longtime fans. I have always been a more sporadic comic book reader and have only ever really cared about, individual heroes so i haven't really felt a lot of the effects of this as like negatively i just really like jeff john's run on green lantern from black before blackest night before this through this new 52 story so yeah green lantern is one of those that was kind of seemed to be least affected by the new 52 relaunch because jeff Johns was the writer before and had kind of established his own new mythology and and a lot of ways kind of rebooted the Green Lantern mythology himself. Uh, and yeah. when New 52 happened, he just kind of kept going. 
Yeah, <laughs> this this isn't rebooted the way some of the other fifty new fifty two stuff is. It certainly it certainly doesn't feel like a reboot. As <laughs> I was trying to write a summary of this, I was like, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that I don't understand. <laughs> there an earlier chapter going on before? Oh, yeah. yeah, I missed I, something. I read uh, no less than five Wikipedia pages to refresh myself on what happens before this. Okay. <laughs> right, well, you, you, I, I may be uh, drawing on that wealth of knowledge. Do not hesitate to jump in with any of that knowledge. Yeah. Uh, uh, for me, I've always loved uh, like like my favorite franchise is is X Men, and I my first comic book that I ever bought, I think it was X Men number two ninety two. It was part three of a trilogy storyline in and of itself, and it was in the <laughs> middle of this massive sprawling sixteen year run by Chris Claremont where he. It just oh, changed the face of X-Men forever. And I just picked up oh, that man. issue, and I knew nothing of what came before, and I didn't care. Like, I, and I wanted to know. And this was an age in comics with, which they don't really do now, but then they would do editor's boxes where sometimes, like, a character would reference something, and there'd be a little asterisk in the dialogue box, and you follow the asterisk down to an editor's box, and it says, mm-hmm. see uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 310 for when this, you know, this event that gets referenced right here happens. And I loved the idea of, like, all of those being interconnected. And... It's that's not the way publishing is done right now uh, in the industry to have it be, you know, uh, very re- referential to its own history and to be uh, very interconnected, tightly interconnected in terms of continuity. And that's fine. It's a different beast than when I was growing up. But I still have kind of a nostalgic fondness for saying the writers have read everything that came before and they're going to try and do breadcrumbs for readers who know all of that. And like I said, when I first started reading, I had none of that at all. And I didn't care. I loved it. I love the stories that were being told. So I think um, this, I, for me, like the, this re- rebooting for new readers doesn't appeal, but I'm not the reader they're trying to reboot for. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a completely different kind of comic book publication system. Uh-huh. Um, and reading comics from the 90s feels very different from reading comics. Today. Oh, yeah. I was just rereading yes. uh, one of those X-Men comics from the 90s. I'm like, this is so different. Than yeah. I <laughs> like, I, I love thinking about the ones that I started reading when I was pulling things from the 80s and 90s from, from other people's collections and, and learning how comics works. Um, and it's very different from the experience I have now when I pick up comics every week and, and read them. I had a very random scattered comic book collection when I was a, when I was a teenager from like Spider-Man 2099 to a bunch of random uncanny X-Men comics. (laughs) So my, uh, my comic book history, uh, is not so great when it comes to things (laughs) I haven't put, put time into. Well, I, I was by no means a completist of these. I just love the idea that you could be a completist and go read all these things that get referenced in you know in, in every issue of Marvel Comics. They're referencing three other issues that you could yeah, yeah. go read. Yeah, and Chris Claremont. I mean, I have some. Uh, I have the Dark Phoenix Saga collected edition and that sort of thing too. Oh, so it is. <laughs> Although after so reading good. so many modern com- comics, it is almost kind of hard to go back and read. Uh, yeah, I think it, it, we recently did an episode on The Giver, and I kind of think like when we're so inundated with modern young adult dystopian future novels, that one in some ways felt dated, <laughs> or or almost a little, I don't know what the right word is, but it felt a little simplistic compared to some of the things that we have now, but we needed that one to get to where we are today. Yeah, because everybody builds off of it, and then mm-hmm. you're like, oh, this feels so cliche. Well, that's because this is where it started. <laughs> and I think a lot of Claremont X-Men has the same effect. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, that was a that was <laughs> more time than I thought we would take on that, but uh, but interesting to me. As an as a new reader, I don't even know how I feel about it. Sometimes I'm like, 
I, I don't want to be a completist. I just go back and dip into the deepest well. And other times I'm like really grateful that they've, that they give, they've given me an entry point. So, all right. Have we got more trivia? Uh, no, that was it for trivia. Pretty okay. light on trivia for this one. All right, Todd, do you want to give us the long synopsis of Green Lantern colon Sinestro? Uh, yes, I do. Just, hold on, real quick. Side note, Sinestro, <laughs> he has one of those great comic book origins where he started out as uh, Hal Jordan's mentor and then became a bad guy. And who would have guessed that the character with the name Sinestro was destined for evil? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Didn't see that coming. Hmm. Okay, I'm ready. You ready? He also Buckle has, up. He also has uh, like a, a great mustache. He's an alien. He's a pink alien, but he has uh, just a, a, a mustache that's made for twirling. Even. Right? And pointed ears and yellow eyes and sharp teeth. Like, this guy's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let your daughters date him. Okay, uh, so as this story starts, we see this very angry-looking guy called Sinestro. And he's making a pledge to become a Green Lantern. And the Guardians, who are in charge of the ceremony, are not in agreement about whether or not this is a good idea. <laughs> this, I mean, we've just described what Sinestro looks like. And uh, I guess so within... <laughs> we said this is a relaunch, but within the continuity at this point, Sinestro left the Green Lantern Corps and created an evil yellow core that was called the Sinestro Corps. So he has a long history of the Green Lantern Corps, most of it bad. So then we cut to Hal Jordan, uh, who is a human, and he used to be Green Lantern, but now he's retired, I guess, or kicked out of the of the core. Yeah, kicked uh, out. And he's not, he's not adjusting well to life. So uh, then he hears this woman scream for help. He jumps in and beats up a guy, and it turns out they were actors filming a show, and Hal gets arrested. But his friend, whose name is Carol? <laughs> Carol Ferris, is that right? Yes. Yes, Carol Ferris. Uh, she, she bails him out. And uh, she she looks to be like uh, she's a lawyer and Hal's friend, maybe a special friend. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so now we see Sinestro as Green, Rant- Green Lantern and he's watching a planet and he's attacked by a big purple and yellow monster. And <laughs> I mean a big purple and yellow monester. <laughs> uh, and so then Sinestro is angry because this monster is part of the yellow sinestro core and it, they have backed out of a deal to protect sinestro's planet so sinestro sets up the 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 sinestro core and tells them protect my planet and for some unexplicable reason all of these horrific looking monsters that are called the sinestro core back out on their on their deal and uh and they're now they've enslaved sinestro's planet and uh, the monster says that Sinestro has uh, betrayed them, and then Sinestro kills the monster. So now Carol and Hal are having a romantic dinner in a fast, fancy restaurant, and it looks like Hal might be preparing to propose, but instead he asks her to co-sign the lease on his car, and she is not happy about this. Uh, and uh, so Hal has to walk home, uh, where he finds an eviction notice. And then Sinestro shows up and tells him if he wants his ring back, he will do everything Sinestro says. Uh, so Hal tries to resist, but it's clear that with the ring and Sinestro's power, Hal is completely helpless. Uh, but then Sinestro gives Hal a ring, and it looks like the real Green Lantern ring, but he can't use it to hurt Sinestro, and it only has as much power as Sinestro gives it to, gives him with it. And then this bridge collapses, and Hal goes to try to save people, but Sinestro shuts the ring off and does the job himself, reiterating to Hal that, uh, that he kind of is Sinestro's servant. If he wants to use the ring, he has to serve Sinestro. 
so then another crazy yellow monster attacks, but Sinestro kills it, and he tells Hal Jordan that these monsters are the Sinestro Corps that he himself created to pre- protect his planet, uh, but they've enslaved them, and now Hal is going to help Sinestro take his planet back. So Carol arrives home that night. She's mad at Hal. She turns on the TV and sees him fighting alongside Sinestro, and she can't believe what she's seeing because she is – she's also a superhero, right? A slash villain yeah. sometimes. <laughs> okay. okay. Mostly yeah, villain. She had – she has she a knows star what's sapphire up. ring. I mean, it's kind of a power ring. I don't think it was originally a ring, but now it's kind of treated as a ring. So, yeah, okay. she has another alien ring power source. Okay, and uh, but she knows what's going on. Like, when she's, she knows that that Hal has powers, or has had powers. Yes. Okay, so Hal wants to go and try and patch things up with Carol before he goes off gallivanting across the universe with uh, Sinestro, but uh, Sinestro will have nothing of that. So now the Guardians decide that they want to build a new army to replace the flawed Lantern Corps. So apparently they had an initial army that was robots, yep. and then they destroyed uh, that army and, and, and created the Lantern Corps. And now the Lantern Corps, they realize, has flaws because somebody like Sinestro can get his hands on a ring. And so they want to do away with the Lantern Corps and build a new third army. So now Hal and Sinestro are headed back to Sinestro's planet to stop the Yellow Corps. Sinestro tells Hal his plans, which is wait until nightfall, and then Sinestro will engage the bad guys, and Hal will take his Green Lantern inside the Yellow Central Battery, and it will just shut all the bad guys off. The power to their rings. Do they have rings or some other they, source they of power? They have rings, too. So it will turn the source of Green Lantern comics. Yes. Uh, and we'll see more. Uh, so then, but then things go south when Sinestro sees this woman called Arsona. She's being beat up, and so he just takes off. <laughs> it's kind of funny because he he keeps reiterating to Al, Al, like wait, wait, wait until dark. And then as soon as he sees this woman being beaten up, he just takes off. And Hal's like, okay, I guess this is the start of our uh, of our plan. So Hal goes into the battery. Now I'm a little confused about what about what happens here. He goes into the battery and disintegrates, and it looks like he disintegrates like. We see his skeleton disintegrating. It's very clear uh, Hal is dead. But then he's not dead. Uh, he's just trapped, uh, and the power on his ring is failing. He knows he only has enough power for one more construct, so he can only make one more thing with his ring before it basically like runs out of batteries. And so he makes a, like a hologram, an image of Carol, and he tells her he's sorry. It's, is there, I feel like there's some, uh, there's some clarification that needs to be made here. I just want to say I was as confused as you. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It's a, a blink-and-you'll-miss-it kind of frame, actually. About about the disintegration to being in prison. It, yeah. Is there something we missed? Uh, you can <laughs> see him at the bottom of a frame just a little bit after that, laying uh-huh. on the ground below Sinestro. Like, the power battery is trying to teleport him, not disintegrate him, and then it just mm. throws him out. Okay. I missed <laughs> okay. that. Okay. I'm so glad. Because that, that makes way more sense. <laughs> the comic book medium is at its best when it's doing show, don't tell, but maybe there should have been a caption box telling a little bit. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> there's a page with a bunch of frames, and in the top left, there's the yellow lantern shooting Hal out, and he's like a speck in the middle of a tiny frame. You okay. see him. You see a little explosion hit the ground, and then his body. Okay, okay. I completely missed that. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm not the only one who missed that. If you missed it, uh, then I, I feel okay. Well, I so, think I read this five times in the last week. So, 
Okay, well, maybe you can help me with the next part because the bad guys are trying to get Sinestro's ring off or they're trying to they're trying to get it to run out of power or something. They're concerned about Sinestro's ring. So yes. they put him in uh, – is that is – that, I, I, don't, I don't understand what they're trying to do with his ring. Why don't they just cut his hand off? Uh, because Sinestro won't let them. It doesn't quite work that way. He still has the power to kind of protect himself even in that get-up is, I think, the feel they're going for. Yeah, the ring okay. would still protect his, his hand. Like, if anyone tried to cut it, the ring yeah. would make a field there. Okay. The suit is actually armor projected by the ring. Oh, okay. Okay. Is his fi- is it? I'm sorry. <laughs> You're is his about, finger is... <laughs> also? Is his finger also protected? I mean, because it's not technically covered by a suit. Yeah, I, he's not wearing I have, gloves. I've always written it off as like this little green force field around the Green Lanterns. Okay, got it. So, so then they they decide to just put him in a room with all of his people. Uh, thinking that he will have to use up all the power of the ring. I mean, it's like, uh, I guess the way to think about this is the ring has a, a limited amount of power, uh, like a cell phone. And he's going to be in this room, and so he'll be having to use his ring, theoretically, to defend himself. And then that will use up all the power in the ring, and then they can then they can get it from him. Is that right? Right, because all the people yeah. on this planet hate Sinestro because he set up the Sinestro core that yeah, now enslaved but- the planet. But and the and the people are really mad at him, but Sinestro is super apologetic and he tells her he's really sorry. And then Hal is listening to all of this through uh like the wall, through the a door, and he can't believe what he's hearing because it turns it sounds like Sinestro's actually kind of a stand up guy. I mean, sort of. <laughs> he his name is still Sinestro and he does have the twirly mustache and the pointy teeth, but uh but he he's actually says he's sorry to somebody and it sounds sincere. And so then he tells Sinestro through the wall to make a hundred rings for the enslaved people uh, with the, using the rest of the power from his ring. So Sinestro does, and so then all of the people on the, in the room, uh, they all have green rings, and they can make something with them to, to fight the bad guys. Um, can I interject something right here? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> One of my favorite artistic things that happens in this is in the crowd, there's a woman holding like a toddler-sized alien, Sinestro alien, and that toddler-sized alien gets a tiny ring around its finger and yes. has a little Green Lantern costume. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, I also too. love the little girl in the dress, too. <laughs> yeah. So so Sinestro gives all these people rings, and then they're all, like, ready to use their rings against him. Uh, but it turns out they can't use their rings against uh, their master because Sinestro made the rings, and part of the part of the programming that he puts into these rings is that they can't be used against him. So they decide to use their rings to fight the bad guys. Uh, and then Sinestro's lantern. Uh, sorry, I. <laughs> Sinestro's lantern is actually it's still in the lab where the evil scientists are trying to figure out how to drain it. So I think what happens is when you get a ring, there's a lantern, and the lantern powers your ring. Correct. Correct. And apparently, the lantern is also can turn into a giant bomb. And blow people up. So where does the lantern get the power? From a central... The lantern powers the ring. What powers the lantern? So we see the big yellow lantern when we first get to this planet, right? Yes. There's a big green one on another planet, and that's connected to a bunch of smaller lanterns that run power from the big one to the little ones to the rings. So 
where do you keep your lantern when you're when you're like fi- I mean there's not a lot and of it, pockets in those suits. It's, extra it's dimensional in a pocket. Space. It's a pocket dimension. Yeah, it is. And well, are you serious? Yeah, yeah, we're totally that's serious. Your <laughs> so I am totally going to say you would not believe how frequently how Jordan does not charge his ring up as much as he needs to. Oh, it's, and a, it's, it's a constant <laughs> issue. And his ring is like down to 1% like every other issue. It's like, how? how? Go charge. Your, plug it in every night. You gotta go. Every night before you go. <laughs> See, this is my problem too because sometimes I only have one charger like available and so it's either my phone or my iPad in the night and and then if I charge my uh, phone then I wake up in the morning my iPad has no charge. So, well, and, and they they actually make fun of that. Really. They actually make fun of that a little bit in the uh, third volume of this run. Uh, there's a character that's like, well, what does Hal do when he runs out of power? And he's just like, he's a Green Lantern. Who cares? And the guy picks up a gun and makes a holster and puts it in the holster. <laughs> um, I was going to say, like, so, Comic Readers have been saying this about Hal Jordan forever. Like, why doesn't he charge? But now that we all have phones that need to be charged every night before they die, I think we all have a little more sympathy for Hal Jordan than we did before when we were reading in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> He needs to get one of those, like, he needs to get, like, an extra thick, it's like a battery pack for the ring, that just, the ring, like, goes in, so he's got an extra big ring, but it, but it's actually not ring, it's just battery. You know, like, a, like those bulbous packs that you put on the back of your phone? He needs one of those. Yeah. I mean, the problem is that the extra dimensional space you stash your lantern in, you can't just call it forth from that space anywhere. It's stuck in your actual reality, wherever you opened it up. So oh. I think so. So he like keeps it in his apartment, in his closet, in his apartment. Yeah, that's where but, he has to go recharge. So, so he opens his closet, open opens the closet, moves the clothes aside, and then activates the like extra dimensional portal. <laughs> yes, this yeah. is so funny. So it's it really is like he has to charge his ring every night, like you like you have to charge your phone. Right. Yeah. Well, no, he just has to charge it for like one minute while he says the oath. Yeah, he's right. got to say. Blackest day. In, okay. In, in brightest day and blackest night. night. No yeah, evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship those evil who be wearing my, my, my power green lanterns light. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and so then it's flowers, charged. Flowers bloom and grow. Da, 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 da. <laughs> there, there is a flower-based green lantern, actually, or a plant-based green lantern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so to get back to the story here. So apparently... Uh, Sinestro does not keep his Green Lantern tucked behind his clothes in his closet. He actually brought it with him. And when they captured him, they captured him and his Green Lantern, which is in the evil lab. Is that is that right now? Yes. Yeah. And by, when you say he, it captured his Green Lantern, just for listeners who are completely unfamiliar, it is a, an alien object that looks a lot like an old-timey miner's lantern. That's why he's called <laughs> Green Lantern. Yes. Uh, the, that's the conceit of it. But it's alien technology just happens to look like... A lantern, so unearthly they get called Green Lanterns. Technology, there is a part of me that is, that is thinking. <laughs> there's a part of me that is thinking this is so ridiculous, and there's this other part of me that's thinking this is so awesome. <laughs> it is both of those things. Both of those things. So Sinestro's once again is still <laughs> the lantern is still in the lab where the evil scientists are trying to figure out how to drain it of its power, but they are too late because Sinestro activates the lantern and incinerates them all. Uh, he actually splits the bad doctor guy, who I actually really like his design as a character. Oh, I love his uh, name, he, too. It's, uh, like, Vaughn Horrible... What is it? It's Professor <laughs> Insid, which is a great name. Insid, that's it. Insid. Uh, so Insid gets split in half by this, like, death ray from the Green Lantern. 
so now the people are free and safe, but they still hate Sinestro. So he and Sal, uh, Hal leave. Sal. <laughs> Sinestro and Hal, we call them Sal. Uh, so Sal leaves. They're celebrity couple names. Yes. Yeah, don't, that's out there on the internet. Don't joke about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, sorry. Sorry, internet. Uh, so Sinestro tells Hal that the ring he has will only have enough juice to get him back to Earth. Because so, Hal's excited, because he's got a ring. And it's really all he ever wants is just to have a ring and, and go gallivanting around. Uh, but Sinestro says, sorry, Hal, you've only got enough juice to get home. So he goes back to Earth, um, and he's hurt because he was double-crossed. Uh, but he vows to find a way to get power back to his ring. He also tracks down Carol and confesses his love to her, which she accepts. And the Guardians continue scheming to replace the Lantern Corps. And then Hal and Carol go on a date, and while she freshens up in the bathroom, he takes care of some thugs who are trying to hurt a guy. And he seems to kind of be okay with not having his Green Lantern ring as long as he can kick some tail occasionally. And then Sinestro goes to live on another planet, and he finds an old – or he goes to visit this other planet. And he finds one of his old nemeses, who is called Starstorm. And I just get the, the impression that with a name like Sinestro, you probably have a, a nemesis in every port. <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, that's fair. He's, he's not a well-liked man. Everybody oh, thinks... You made, you made an entire core of aliens that you empowered, and then you turned on them. That's not going to lessen the number of foes that you have. I just feel like, like uh, you know, Indiana Jones or, um, you know, you have these, like, roguish uh, characters who have a girl in every... In every in every port, I feel like Sinestro, and everyone feels like they're the special one. I feel like every ne- nemesis of Sinestro feels like they're Sinestro's special. They're the one, they're the real one, but in reality, they're all just uh, nobody is the special one. They're all just uh, equally <laughs> e- equal enemies. Uh, but um, so so he asks Star he asks Starstorm to help him find this evil blue lady. And, um, and Sinestro does, and then she starts, I'm sorry, I'm going to back up a second. (laughs) My notes end right here. So I'm just going to remember the last, very last part of this. Right. You gotta, Smurfette is going to fight. (laughs) Yeah, basically. So Sinestro goes to another planet and he finds his old nemesis, Starstorm. And then, uh, Starstorm has been totally beaten and he's living like homeless, basically, on this planet. Uh, but then Sinestro has Starstorm make him help him find this evil blue lady, and they find her, and she's kind of whooping up on them. And Sinestro is telling Starstorm, like, "Come on, man, you, you, it's okay if you've been down in the." It's kind of funny, like he's giving a pep talk to the guy that he crushed, and he's like, "Come on, I crush people all the time, and they get back up." That Hal Jordan, he's amazing. I, he, that guy never stays down, but you, for some reason, and, and uh, Starstorm, he just can't do it. He just can't seem to pull himself up by the bootstraps like Hal Jordan does, and Sinestro's totally disgusted with him, and so he kind of d- does away with him, does away with Blue Lady, and then he goes off uh, angry at Hal Jordan, but also kind of uh, respectful that Hal is the guy that he, he just can't stay down. Uh, so maybe, maybe Hal is his special nemesis, and that's the end of this, uh, this volume. Uh, I Todd, if we ever are doing a superhero with who you have no familiarity, again, I want you to do the summary. Oh, yeah, that was amazing. That was so great. Uh, hey, hey, Todd, I, I got yeah. a special treat for you. What's that? I pulled up in Wikipedia 
uh, a few of the special Green Lantern oaths. All right, so so Green Lanterns <laughs> they all have their oaths. Oh man! But then there's also there's these, a few special ones. But there's I also these favorite. other cores. Yeah. Uh, well, so I'm gonna share my two favorites, and I hope one of them is is yours, Norman. The first one I'm gonna share is is Medfil, which I believe is the flower Green Lantern yes, that you mentioned. That one's really great. Uh, in forest dark or glade beferned, no blade of grass shall go unturned. Let those who have the daylight spurned tread not where this green lamp has burned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then my my very very favorite. There is an alien species that is utterly blind and has no concept of sight or light or darkness. And so it's sound-based. That's my favorite one. Okay, this is Rot Lop Fan. <laughs> that's in the La- name? Yeah, that's, that's the name of the character. Okay, Rot Lop Fan. Yes. That's in loudest <laughs> din or hush profound, my ears catch evil's slightest sound. Let those who toll out evil's knell beware my power, the F-sharp bell. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see that one coming, did you? Talk? The, the F sharp bell is is the best by far, and I was totally on board with that the whole way until until F sharp bell. Obviously, well, that's amazing. He's blind. He only has a concept of sound, not colors or shapes. So he doesn't know what a Green Lantern is. Yeah, and so I think the symbol on his chest isn't even a lantern. I think it's a green bell. Yeah, is it a, it's I not a. It's so. not like a an F sharp like quarter <laughs> on, note on a staff. <laughs> I don't know. Because that would be amazing. But I just love, like, <laughs> that ending to the line, beware my power, the F-sharp bell. So, right? just real quick, oh, before man. before we leave the oaths, there is, um, the, <laughs> Jeff Johns introduced these other cores, besides the Green Lantern core, who oh. all had different uh, motivations. Oh, the man. Orange Lanterns oh, is, yes. is uh, greed. <laughs> They're motivated and, by greed. And he, and he, he saved that one. It was, a, it was a secret for a long time. Yeah. And this is the, the the Orange Lantern's Oath. So they're motivated by greed. What's mine is mine, and mine, and mine, and mine, and mine, and mine. <laughs> not yours. Oh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, man. Larfleet. Again, treading that line of, is this stupid or is also, this amazing? Also, I, it's both. The, the Orange character doesn't, like, hold up his ring to a big lantern and recite that. He just plunges his face into the lantern power source and wow. drinks it in. He is the, uh, Larflees, uh, who is the lizard man. Uh, he's almost like a dragon, because he's a hoarder. He's just a big, he's just a scaly. Yeah, he collects. Uh, wow. He is, he's one of my favorite, he's one of my favorite characters in the Green Lantern mythos, but he's also, like, as a single entity, is one of the most powerful lanterns because he's the only one using his power source. He won't share it with anyone else. There's no other orange lanterns. <laughs> it's just him. That's amazing. Okay. Okay. So, now, 45 minutes into this, let's talk about... We, we want to start with Hal or uh, Sinestro? Um, oh, I have so much more to say about Sinestro because of the nature of this story. Yeah, I'd say let's, let's talk some about Sinestro, actually. All right, let's go for it. Where do we start? All right, I want to start with the moment at the bridge, because I think it, it says something interesting about superheroes and the superhero genre and Sinestro, a character, when uh, this alien has broken part of the bridge, and Hal goes in, and he's going to catch the woman who's falling, and Sinestro just, he stops Hal both as a power move, like, establishing that he's the alpha in their relationship right now. Like, I can turn off your ring whenever I want, so I am in charge. But he also is telling Hal, like, 
you do superheroing wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. You're going to catch this one person who's falling, and Sinestro instantly, like, fixes the entire bridge and, like, solves the entire problem uh, instead of saving one by one, which there is a criticism of superhero comic books, particularly of very powerful characters like Superman, where they never treat the underlying disease of humanity. They just treat these symptoms as they pop up one by one. Like, so there's... Uh, there, there's a mugging in Metropolis. They stop that mugging. They do nothing for the underlying socioeconomic systems yeah. of humanity. They See, just a, do a, the one thing. A so, bridge yeah. collapses. They save some people falling off a bridge. They're not instituting a better system for right. for regulating infrastructure. Yeah. There's a line and, right before that that I think encapsulates the whole moment you're about to see really well. Which is, the Corps didn't simply give you a ring that could let you fly and create gear, green airplanes. It offered you a chance to improve the universe. Did you ever really take it? Yeah, but what's interesting to me is Sinestro represents, like, the other end of the spectrum, and this kind of explicitly and implicitly says, not much better <laughs> to <laughs> to go and enforce your will uh, on an entire planet and try, like, it's going to backfire if you do that. So I, I, I like that there's this, it's recognizing this criticism, but also showing in Sinestro this alternative method of... Uh, inhabiting or or uh, of using massive amounts of power that you see in superhero comic books. Yeah. So on one of these, um, I, I I read it on Comixology, and um, at the end there were like other comic book creators saying, this is amazing and this is why. And uh, one of them said um, that you have in, in Sinestro, you have a bad guy, the be- very best kind of bad guy, which is a bad guy who thinks he's a good guy. Yeah. And... Um, I, I think that's really, I think that's really interesting. Like, I think about other superheroes, like Superman. You know, do we want Superman to just take over the world? Well, that's <laughs> how you get Kingdom Come. Yes, we have had those stories being been told, right? Like, but always as Elseworlds, never within the main continuity of Superman. Yeah, yeah. well, and here, I mean, here we see somebody who try, who tries Sinestro. I, I've, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's really interesting. It's certainly a criticism. But then, like, what's the flip side of that? Like, if you don't want them saving people from bad stuff, do you do we trust? <laughs> I mean, that's this is at the heart of so many like great stories. But right, uh, I mean, this is the um, I mean, that's the whole. We, do we trust them? Yeah, that's the whole who watches the Watchmen kind of question, right? Exactly. Like, yes. When you have someone who can do all this, who is he accountable to? And for Sinestro, and what this story kind of shows in a way, is that he feels at least in part accountable to his people, because he feels bad for what happened because of him. There's a there's a moment where Sin- where Arsona asks him if she was nothing to him, and he says less than nothing. But yes. He, but we know by the way he's acted in this story around just how that he's lying to her. Like, uh, yes. Or was he – is he being honest about how he thought of them then, but he's not recognizing what's motivating him now is a change in that perception? Right. Because – Or is he seeing her as – well, I feel like it's theory time, but – Well, <laughs> like, what happens like in, right there? like in a live in Asian sense, is he seeing her as like as a human – as a human being, like as an infinite individual? Or does he feel bad about what happened to them like as a collective? Is he objectified everyone on his planet? Like, I take care of everyone on my planet 
because I'm more interested in the collective than I am in any individual. And when she says, was I, was I nothing to you? And he says, less than nothing. Is he saying, as an individual, you mean nothing to me. You only matter as a part of this group. Right. Is that? I have a counterpoint to that from, yeah. from this as well. So when Hal and Sinestro first land on the planet, they are watching a little girl about to be eaten by a yellow lantern. And then Arsona interferes. She fights with that lantern. And when the lantern turns to her and starts to hurt her, that's when Sinestro jumps into action. He was willing to let the kid die. He wasn't yes. willing to let Arsona die. Yes. So I, 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 I think we're, I think we're totally on the same page with this. I, I thought, I thought for sure that she was like his girlfriend and maybe there, maybe there was something there or if she thought there was something there and. Yeah, I get the impression anyway. that she thinks there's something there, like, to a certain degree, because later she mentions her partner, and I don't know if she means romantically or in a police force sense. Yeah. Well, she seems she's, <laughs> she seems hurt bad enough that it, it seems like her heart was involved. Yeah. But I think Sinestro's had to be also for him to, I, I don't know, I for mean, him Sinestro's to be really, to sit ignore. back and watch the little yeah. kid get yeah. eaten. Yeah, Sinestro has seen a lot of stuff. Something really interesting to think about when it comes to Sinestro and his whole character and the way that he thinks about his planet, and to me it's always kind of colored his protection of Korrigar, is that he started his life as an anthropologist and an archaeologist, hmm. studying the past culture of his world. He's That's just like Indiana Jones. Yeah, he's know, basically Indiana, Indiana Jones. The science. The pure yeah. science. He's Indiana Jones gone bad. Like, that's who Sinestro kind of is. Huh. And he got uh, he got his power ring in essentially the same way that Hal Jordan did, except instead of the alien that crashed dying almost immediately, Sinestro used the power ring, s- solved the problem, went back to where the alien was dying. The guy's like, "I'm gonna be fine. Can I have my ring back?" And Sinestro was like, "No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hero now. I'm gonna use this power to make my life and the, the life of the people around me better." So. I think uh, I think it's really interesting when um, the Guardians are talking about the the Lantern Corps and its flaws, and this idea that a ring just seeks out someone with will. Is that the that's the word that they use, right? Yeah. Will. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the ring seeks out people with will, and it's it's like if you're gonna build a whole a whole intergalactic peacekeeping core. Wouldn't you want to have your your special super cell phone ring uh do something like like look for some other quality maybe along with will? <laughs> Cause, right. Cuz people can have a lot of drive for maybe not the best ends. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like is that <laughs> Did they not have that conversation at the beginning and say when somebody there? I mean, I imagine all these blue guys sitting around this boardroom table, and they're like, "Okay, the robots didn't work. We're gonna do a new thing. We're gonna make these rings, and they're gonna have they're gonna they're gonna look for a, a quality in somebody, and then they'll they'll kind of latch onto them, and that quality will uh, will kind of guide all of these people. So if we could have a big, huge intergalactic peacekeeping force." With one quality, what would it be? And then somebody says, Will. And they're like, that's it. <laughs> like, yes. didn't anybody stop and say, wait a second. So there's there's a conceit you have to accept with this whole thing as far as the Green Lanterns go. And that's that the part of the reason that willpower is what they look for 
is because the Guardians have removed all emotion from themselves, and Will is the emotional spectrum power source that is inherently neutral. So that's the one they view as superior. I'd like to think that they didn't just say, one of them didn't speak up and say, we're going to look for Will. They just got, they went, we're going to look for never quititude. That is what we want. <laughs> yes. Never quititude. Never give up. Uh, <clears throat> I just, uh, I, 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 I'm like, I see him sitting around the, the board and like, what, what can we do? What can we do? And then one of them's name is Will. And they're like, hey, Will. And they're like, yeah, Will, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wait. <laughs> and then it was too embarrassed to say uh, the, the, the leader just misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. they're like, uh, yeah. Well, I was just, I was just calling for, you know, like I just wanted some lunch, but uh, I guess we're going with this. Okay, well, <laughs> all right. I, it was my idea. I'm, I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I think it's an interesting. Uh, that that makes that makes sense to to say that it's the it's neutral uh, neutral emotion yeah yeah because well, it, it's emotion. not an emotion it's a neutral uh, attribute yeah they're, they're all referred to as emotions as the emotional spectrum and there's three much more negative ones and three positive ones but all of them have their own problems so like it's rage greed fear will uh, hope love and compassion are the well done yeah I'm just Slow clap. <laughs> Slow clap. And that, that was in, out the in order. The Green Core. Yeah. That was yeah, in that order. was in order. <laughs> from, uh, from red to violet. So, Roy G. Being I mean, the order, ring couldn't, it, it couldn't have two qualities. It couldn't have, like, love and will. Uh, we, we do see Hal in a previous story uh, wield multiple powers at once, and a couple of other lanterns wield, wield multiple powers at once as well. But that also doesn't typically end well for the lantern carrying two powers. So. Okay. And I, I maybe now's a good moment to insert this. Um, as I was reading this, so I was really thinking it was going to be more about Hal Jordan, but it's it's not. It's Sinestro's story, um, as we've said. But Hal Jordan is the Green Lantern I know best. And I guess it's worth noting for listeners who maybe are familiar with like the Justice League cartoon, there are multiple Green Lanterns on Earth. So if you're familiar with Jon Stewart, the African-American Green Lantern from that cartoon, he is... Green Lantern that received a separate power ring from the one that Hal Jordan has in the comics. And um, there are a lot of human Green Lanterns, uh, more so than most of the other alien uh, races yeah. that we see there. Um, but Isn't I was going to say... supposed to be kind of weird, though? Like, oh, a human! Or... or uh, it is at like first. Inside of the yeah. universe, is it is it normal? Right. Or is it just normal for us because we're humans and we only see the human stories? It's still that kind of... Um, the, the constant conceit in... Uh, sci-fi, uh, broad, expansive sci-fi universes that humans just have this pluckiness about them that sets them apart from every other alien species. Yeah. <laughs> it's our, our plucky adaptability. <laughs> yes. Um, but I was going to say, Hal Jordan, as a character in... Uh, he's got a really long history. I said, you know, he's created in 59. And, like, in that Green Lantern philosophy book, I was writing about his shifting motivations because um, he he starts out with just the basic... An alien said, you can have this power, and he's a good guy, so he's a good guy with power. Like, it doesn't really occur to him to be a bad guy. Um, but there comes a point in the 90s when his the, the city that he protects on Earth, because, you know, every superhero has their city, gets destroyed. And he kind of goes crazy and wants to recreate that city, so he starts killing other Green Lanterns to steal their power rings to have enough power wow. to recreate that city. Yeah. And then it gets even crazier. He starts messing with time to try and reinstate the, the city before it was destroyed. And he just becomes an out-and-out supervillain. 
And then he eventually dies, sacrificing himself, and eventually in an act of goodness. Uh, and then he's dead for a while, and then he gets better in the way of all comic book superheroes. But I got he's, he's <laughs> while, he also gets to be a superhero while he's dead. While dead, yes, he is the vengeance of God called the Spectre. Um, wow. While he's dead, uh, but there are a few moments in this where he kind of gets on a high moral ground with Sinestro, kind of a "How dare you, Sinestro?" And I just kept in the back of my head, I just kept thinking, "How." <laughs> Um, oh man! You killed all the other Green Lanterns and claimed their rings as your own, so that you could try and revive your a dead city. Yeah, because he specifically calls out Sinestro for killing Green Lanterns, and it's amazing that Sinestro doesn't look look at him and go, "Really? Who would do that?" <laughs> so, despite so despite the New Fifty Two reboot, we're assuming that that all happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so I'm so glad that you brought this up because it it. Um, it brings up a question that I was wondering the other day. I was talking to my students. What were we doing? We were, oh, we were we were translating a, a pop song from Spain, and it was uh, it was about uh, I have a thing for like sad breakup songs. Was it Oreja was... de Van Gogh? Song? No, it was not Oreja de Van Gogh. It was uh, sad breakup songs. It was Ricky Martin. Oh, what was it? What was the song? Oh, it was um. Norman, these are the kind of tangents we get on every episode. It's called Tal Tal Vez. It's Ricky Martin. It's called Tal Vez. And one of the lines is, um, so Tal Vez means uh, perhaps. So it's perhaps. And he says, perhaps this is the end of our story. And then he he goes, perhaps I made some mistake. You know, mistakes were made. Perhaps I forgot that I loved you. That's one of the that's one of the lines. Perhaps I forgot that I loved you. But he's like, perhaps I did all of these horrible things, but. But I'm, I want another chance. And so my question for my students was, like, at what point does someone become irredeemable? <laughs> like, in a, in a relationship where, you know, somebody's like, well, I, I really screwed up, but I, I, but like I really need another chance. I made mistakes. He said, perhaps mistakes were made. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, this is well, man. Let's just say hypothetically. but but if and then and then the other thing is uh my wife and i watched this film the other day the vow have you guys seen the vow with uh tanning was that channing tatum tanning chatum what's his name (laughs) (laughs) with a ch first (laughs) channing tatum flip that reverse it and uh tanning is not a name channing that's a name (laughs) lo siento i'm so sorry uh and then um and rachel mcadams and there's this uh there's this point late in the film where the rachel mcadams character realizes that her father was uh unfaithful to her mother um and had an affair with with her friend uh, with with like Rachel McAdams' friend, so her dad did this creepy, gross thing, and then the mom is still with him, and this, you know, twenty-something Rachel McAdams guy cannot believe that her mother is still with her her husband, knowing that he did this horrible, gross thing, and the mom says this line that I I've been thinking a lot about recently, and it, it says something like. I decided to stay with him for all of the good things that he did rather than leaving him for the one bad thing that he did. I, I just think that's really interesting, and I was thinking about it in the context of this story, uh, specifically with Sinestro, but now knowing about Hal <laughs> makes it like doubly interesting. But like, at what point do you is, – is there ever a line 
in comics or in life that you cross that line and it's like, I'm sorry, pal, but you can go like save a, a, a baby, but it doesn't make up for the fact that you did this horrible thing. And, so I, think- and I think it's so important because I think redemption is one of the fundamental themes of Western literature forever. Everybody wants to be redeemed. So go ahead. Can, can I? I'll produce Andrew. Can yeah, make here. a comic book cross point. Um, the recent uh, series in in Marvel Comics, The Vision, uh, was really good. And the Vision where he wears the sweater. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, there's a sequence where his it's it's a little complicated, and I'm going to spoil some things for a really good comic book. So make sure you read it because it's better than what I'm describing. Basically, <laughs> um, his wife is guilty of a crime, and he has been uh, invited to an interrogation by the police and they are asking, was everyone at home Tuesday night? And then the vision's having a conversation with the detective before he answers. And in this narrative um, set of, of text boxes, uh, it says the vision counts by his own, you know, accounting 37 times he has saved the world. And then it starts listing them throughout this, this conversation. Um, And this isn't part of, the vision talking. This is some sort of, this is what's going on inside of his subroutine in his head. The vision's yeah. an Android. Yeah. yeah. And at the end of, of the list, it says the vision counts himself as having saved the world, the entire world, 37 times. And none of that erases the fact that he is about to lie. And then he says, yes, everyone was home on Tuesday night, even though he knows his wife wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, and so like in the narrative, like this, very blatant narrative it's saying he can save the world as many times as he wants he has just lied to the police they don't cancel each other out and just because you save the world doesn't give you a pass on an interrogation into you know a criminal investigation but he lies anyway right yeah he does yeah. so is like, vision like, now a supervillain he is very gray area in that comic it's, book. it's very complicated yeah. it's a really? really good comic book oh he is okay. hype- yeah, that comic was about him entering the gray area of morality as an android who is programmed to be good mm-hmm. and discovering that that's not what, always what is good. cut and dry. Yeah. Okay. Norman, what do you think about all this? Uh, about the whole redeemable villain sort of thing? Yeah, and, and maybe specifically in the context of Sinestro and Hal Jordan. Um, in, the, in the realm of comic books, we're supposed to just accept that anyone is redeemable, whether or not that's always the case in like real life for certain things. And I sure. really buy into that conceit. And this this volume really does go a long way into making you think that Sinestro is a redeemable character. So if Sinestro is redeemable through this sympathetic light, then, I don't know, I, I, I err on the side of nothing is really without the possibility for redemption. It's just a matter of what you have to do to get there. And it's different for each individual person you interact with, whether or not they accept your apology or your redemption. It's not like a blanket thing. You can't just save the world and expect everyone that populates it to forgive you for any bad you've done. That's an individual so basis sort of thing. But that's how Sinestro be redeemed. It. Yeah. But if he's going to be redeemed, he might do something that redeems him with, you know, a quarter of the population that say, oh, I'll forgive him for setting up the Sinestro core that enslaved us. Yeah. We're going to let that pass, but maybe three quarters are still angry. And then, you know, a few more acts, maybe some individual ones. He starts to sway some individuals, but he's, he's got a long list of people that he needs to redeem himself yeah. in the eyes of. Like the is, it, is it, is, is it a, 
Is it like a bank account? Like he's drained their bank account, and now if he does enough good acts, then he'll fill it all up? Or is it like the past doesn't matter? The only thing that matters is the present. And so you can you can like genocide an entire planet, but if today you do the right thing, even if it only saves five people, if 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 you're in doing that, you show a change of heart, then it's a, it doesn't matter. Like you're now you're a good guy. Because you save five people and your heart is all somehow good. And so regardless of the billions of people that you killed before, it doesn't really matter. What matters is who you are now. It's, it's just an interesting way of thinking yeah. about, about this. And I don't know that it's completely dis- dissociated from the way that we think about real life. Yeah, I was going to say oh, uh, two, two things – well, several things – popped into my head as you were saying this one uh, we've already referenced the dark phoenix saga one of the most fam- famous comic book storylines of all time in which uh an ex-man named jean gray uh she gets this immense power that corrupts her and in her corrupted state she eats a sun where of a solar system where there was a planet with inhabited life and billions of lives die and the writer chris claremont was going to have her at the end of the story depowered and uh that was gonna be the end of it and the editor uh jim shooter said no like <laughs> what she's done is too evil she to just say yeah she can't just be depowered and that's the end of the story um that and so in the end uh, the writer rewrote it so that she makes uh a, a martyr sacrifice to, to save everyone but she dies herself and i think green lantern if i'm remembering right after how jordan goes evil um when he dies and before he becomes as as a dead man specter the vengeance of god uh but he died reigniting a sun to save a solar system if i'm remembering correctly i it's believe that i think that's correct yeah uh so it was like the self-sacrifice moment to say you know it was an act of redemption but it was you know dying in that act but the other when you're talking about Todd, like, is it, does the past not matter and it's only who you are now? It made me think of one of my favorite episodes of Northern Exposure (laughs) that we talked about recently on this podcast. There's the character Chris, one of my favorite characters of all time, uh, of of all story. Um, He has a very checkered past and he's kind of run to Alaska, uh, maybe illegally, getting away from the law of some of of his past crimes. Chris is the radio guy, yeah? Yeah, the radio guy. Okay. And uh, there's an episode where uh, police come and want him deported back to another state, or, or take him back to another extradited. state. Extradited? Yeah, extradited, not deported, deported. but extradited <laughs> to another state to be to stay. Well, maybe you can be deported from Alaska. <laughs> from Alaska, it's pretty far away. Uh, to stand for some crimes, and the lawyer's defense is that the Chris Stevens here today in this town is not the Chris Stevens who committed those crimes. Then it's the oh, same man. physical man, but it's a different emotional and psychological man than the one who committed those crimes. And like the, the lawyer's making this big speech about it. And Chris Stevens just like looks around and then he smiles at the guy and gives him a thumbs up. He's like, that's a good defense. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> the judge says, no, you are the same physical man. You're, you're still culpable. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But, uh, I, I like the, I mean, this is a debate, like you said, that is just prevalent in in literature, and uh, I think this comic is exploring some of those, and it's not coming down with a hard answer on on any of them. No, because I, I don't think there really is a hard answer on that, and part of it is the way that we look at that in real life versus media, because think about those moments where like a bad guy dies, does something good in the climax of a movie. That's like something that we as an audience cheer for. That's something that we want to see happen. Like everyone wants to see someone redeemed, but in the real world, it doesn't, it's not so easy. I, I totally agree. I, we've talked about this um, example a few different times on this podcast, but uh, so one of my favorite characters, or one of my favorite stories is the Odyssey. 
and so many people have such a hard time, including you, Joseph, I know. Uh, like <laughs> you, you didn't see him shake his head. So I, I love the end of the Odyssey. I think it's amazing. I, I think it's an amazing story, like, full stop. Um, and, and I have so many students and friends who, str- who struggle with the end of that because of what Odysseus – because of uh, 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 Odysseus's infidelity early in that story – it somehow cheapens <laughs> it cheapens his then reunion with uh, Penelope at the end and and i just i i i i'd want to like sh- you know shake people and say give the guy a break like he made a mistake like humans do and then he made up for it and went back and was with his wife and she was happy to see him and he was happy to see her and like that's that's good that's a happy ending um and then I and then I deal with people in real life a lot uh, because of like some responsibilities that I have at church, where I counsel with people who have made mistakes, and I find them ha- having the hardest time forgiving themselves or forgiving other people for things. And so this idea of like forgiveness and redemption it just is always on my mind. And I think it's really interesting how the the way that we see them can be very different in uh, in like a creative world versus the real world and sometimes not so different. Um, but always messy and never really with great like clear answers. Yeah. Um, oh man. I love Sinestro. I love this book and the two that follow <laughs> it because of how much it plays with that question of mm-hmm. like what is too far to be redeemed and on a... Uh, on a personal level, when we get to the end of this story arc uh, in the next two volumes, Hal and Sinestro have kind of come to terms with each other, but in a very tenuous way. Hal has sort of forgiven him for a lot of what he's done. But as an audience, we're not really supposed to yet. So I think it's an interesting way of like weaving their relationship into this story. Because they've known each other basically as long as Hal has been a Green Lantern. He taught Hal how to use the power in the first place. Uh, he was he was Hal's mentor when he arrived for training with the Guardians. And his name was Sinestro. And his name was Sinestro. And in... <laughs> Todd, no reader could have seen this coming. Yeah. <laughs> and in many ways, through Sinestro's history, his actions, the things that we see him do, there are a lot of ways in which Sinestro is like the best green lantern because he understands the power inside and out in a way that even Hal Jordan never has. He knows the limits of these power rings better than basically anyone we've ever seen. And he just, his drive, his will is so much greater than pretty much everyone's except for Hal's that this story to me is so interesting because it plays with the the relationship between those two because it's basically a buddy cop movie <laughs> like this is like 48 hours almost where if you like he like busts hal out of earth and then they spend the next 24 hours on like this mission so <laughs> and they don't want to be together but they need each other yeah because when sinestro thinks Man, who is the second best person to me? He thinks of Hal. <laughs> Interesting. So, do even you think though that... they've been mortal enemies for most of the character's existence, 
So this idea that that Sinestro is a bad guy who thinks he's a good guy um, is that? Do you think that that's a pretty accurate description of him? Yes, and he says something near the end of this when they're hauling the lantern back to the guard, the big yellow lantern back to the guardians. He says that uh, the the universe is full of nothing but ignorance and chaos and greed, and all he ever wanted was order. Mm-hmm. And I think that really encapsulates the way that Sinestro thinks about himself. He never thought of himself as a dictator or a conqueror. He thinks of himself as the law, basically. Like, he's bringing order to this world and keeping it safe with all these rules. And he is so, like, taken aback by what the Sinestro Corps has done because they threw his order right out the window as soon as he was out of the way. But he went out of his way to recruit people that weren't necessarily the best people because the yellow light looks for people who are good at inspiring fear. And that's how they choose their wheel, how it chooses its wielder. Oh, interesting. That's why he had all the bad guys. Yeah, because they're the ones who inspire fear. You know they're bad because they have beady eyes and sharp teeth. My favorite one is Slush, which is the big, the ooze monster with the skeleton floating in in him. He's my favorite design. Is he the one that has... His uh, his 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 word bubbles are just scribbles. Yes, <laughs> I love his design. I think it's such a cool like monster. So I wonder if the the idea that Sinestro is a bad guy that thinks he's a good guy, that, I mean, he feels like his motivations are pure. I wonder if that makes it easier for him to be redeemed in our eyes, uh, where we're like, yeah, I mean, he was misguided, but at least he was trying to do something good. Whereas, I mean, if his if his like core motivation had been. I just want to hurt people, you know. It's like the Joker. All of a sudden, the Joker's like, "No, oh, the city's out of control." I'm gonna... yeah. <laughs> right? Who, who let the city get, get this bad? <laughs> yeah, because Sinestro's uh, core motivation comes from really far back in DC's history, where there mm-hmm. was a race of people that did nothing but like basically wage war on his planet, and he essentially became the ruler of Korrigar through not so great means to protect them from another spacefaring race that was coming to bring war because uh-huh. with his green power ring, he was able to fight them. So he... I, I keep thinking about Magneto. Yeah. Who's another like bad guy who turns into a good guy and he's a bad guy that, you know, he's a bad guy, but you also kind of find yourself rooting for him yeah. more often than not because he's, he's my favorite Marvel villain, honestly in his, in his core, he's not a bad guy. He's just, trying to do what he thinks is the right thing in all the wrong ways. Yeah. And I think that's what makes him so interesting and so easily redeemable. And and that's why you can pick up any X-Men comic over the past, I don't know, 30 years or something. Right. And it's like, wait, is this when he's good or is this when he's bad? Because you never really know like what you're going to find with Magneto at any given point. And it's never hard for me to just say, oh, he's a good guy now. And, and to, I, I don't feel like... I have to justify that every single time I pick up a comic and yeah. find that Magneto's good. I don't feel like I have to justify that in my head. I can just go with it because I know that in his heart, he's really not a – he's – what is it? He is he is bad guy, but he doesn't have to be bad guy, you know? Yeah, like, right. <laughs> I mean uh, the whole Magneto-Professor X dynamic doesn't work unless both of them are kind of right. Like, right. That's like that's, – that's the whole thing with them is that they're both kind of right. It's a matter of uh, methods. And so Sinestro, Sinestro is not right. Uh, <laughs> he just thinks he is. And that's like the difference between Sinestro and Magneto. Huh. I was going to say that that dynamic is probably the 
greatest thing that Chris Claremont gave to X-Men comics, because if you go read earlier appearances of Magneto back to X-Men number one in 1963, Magneto was just a crazy bad guy who wanted right. to blow up the world. Yeah. And then uh, Chris Claremont's like, I need a better villain. <laughs> and rather than make one, he, he just tweaked Magneto, and like it is incomparable, the Magneto that's in the first you know, four or five issues of X-Men in the 60s versus the one that we get during the Chris Claremont's run and right. up through today and that we get in pop culture today. And that's exactly what Jeff Johns did with did with Sinestro through his entire run on Green Lantern. So he's just like, well, this guy awesome. is basically unsympathetic and terrible, uh, but I need a more compelling villain than that for Hal Jordan. So <laughs> I need to make this work. So he tweaked Sinestro a lot um, while keeping his general personality really intact. It's just his motivations make more sense and are explored in a more sympathetic way by Jeff Johns. Mm-hmm. I think it's it, fascinating well, and, and going like back, really sophisticated storytelling. Yes. Going back to what you asked at the beginning, Todd, about like how do we feel about these reboots? That's one thing that Jeff Johns, who's been writing for DC for 20 years now, I want to say. Maybe maybe not quite that long. At least 15 years. It's but he honors the, the most obscure backstory, but he makes it feel... <laughs> relevant to the story that he's telling and it makes it feel relevant to today even if you go back and read the original backstory you're like that character doesn't work but he brings up keeps the core of the character in a way that's recognizable but makes them matter to the story and again matter to yeah. issues that are going on today um and he has just you can tell a, an encyclopedic knowledge but also an adoration of the backstory for the characters that he's writing yeah and i think that one of the things that's important to remember about this sort of story when it comes to sinestro is we we have to accept that the Green Lantern rings have like this almost kind of sentience to them, the emotional spectrum, the emotional light. And it wouldn't have given Sinestro the green ring back if there wasn't some greater reason for it. Because the this power comes from an actual sentient entity when we when it comes down to it. Uh the the emotional spectrum elementals or whatever you want to call them, the creatures that these these powers come from. It's not just completely willy-nilly. Like, there's a reason Sinestro gets this green ring back, and that's explored as the story goes forward, too. Hmm. There, Sinestro, I don't know. I find him so compelling as a villain because he's so multifaceted, and even in this, he still does villainous things throughout this whole scenario. He very brutally dispatches everyone he fights, not in a way that a hero would. <laughs> yeah. And... I don't know. I think that the uh, the idea that we we see him in green through all of this, and that we're supposed to accept that while Green Lanterns are good, also helps color all of his actions in a way that we can see redeemable. Because we huh. see him dressed as the hero. Yeah. If that makes sense. He, I mean, hopefully, he, I wasn't just well, rambling I, there. <laughs> no, I, I just think if he were truly, I mean, there's there's another way, like in an in an alternate universe, which is. Not so far-fetched in this conversation. <laughs> but uh, you can imagine an alternate universe in which he he's wearing the green suit and you're just disgusted at every second because you feel like he isn't redeemable. And and somehow – and this is why I say this is I, – I feel like this is pretty sophisticated storytelling. I mean for all its absurdity and a couple of moments that are uh, kind of hard to understand um, – but just like emotionally to be able to walk that tightrope in which we know he's a bad guy. We recognize that he's doing bad things. We also see him as potentially redeemable and he's wearing this, this costume and we feel okay with that. 
I, I just think it's I think it's really interesting the way that um, that writers can move a character through a journey like that. It's it's pretty cool. There's a really subtle touch in this comic as well that I think uh, is really cool because when they're not on panel, when they're speaking from off panel, once they're both in the comic, Hal and Sinestro, Hal's uh, boxes are in green, but Sinestro's are in yellow. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a little subtle thing that's like, you know, remember, he's still Sinestro. He's still the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes his his bubbles are lined in yellow. Yeah. Also. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's really interesting because it just continues to call to the fact that, you know, he, he was Hal's arch nemesis. He's he was the bad guy. I find their relationship so interesting because there seems to be such a weird amount of respect between the two of them. Uh-huh. Uh, like when they're trapped in that cell, uh, and I mean, it's, this is more about Hal now. Uh, but when they're trapped in that cell, and he tells Sine- he he says to Sinestro, "Why don't you make them all rings?" Hal is being very sincere, I think, when he says, "If anyone can do it, you can." When he talks yeah. about like pushing the ring that far. So I do definitely like, respect for Sinestro. I think that's in that moment, though, where we still get some of Sinestro's arrogance, where he's trying to do it, and it's hard, and Hal says, you can do it, Sinestro, and Sinestro says, shut up, Hal. <laughs> like, <laughs> also, he never calls him Hal. He always calls him Jordan. He never calls him Hal. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he says, shut up, Jordan. Yeah, but... There's a payoff yeah, for he... that at the end of this story. He does eventually call him Hal. Uh, uh, so, which is something that when I, when I read this for the first time, the eventual payoff for him calling... Jordan by his first name uh, is a really big moment in that last volume of this. It's very, very cool. All right. Well, any final thoughts about Sinestro or Hal Jordan before we wrap up this episode? That uh, one of my final thoughts about this, I guess, is when I first picked up this comic, I wasn't, I really wasn't expecting Sinestro to really be the main character of this story because it's a Green Lantern comic book. And Hal Jordan really takes a back seat. It's all about. Sinestro's, like, journey towards redemption and Hal's acceptance of his own, like, flaws and his state of being. And through seeing what Sinestro has done and understanding the consequences of what Sinestro has done, it seems like Hal is willing to accept not being a Lantern anymore. And I think that's really interesting as a part of Hal's character. That's awesome. (laughs) I really really enjoyed it. My final thought is I think this was a ton of fun. And I'm really glad that I got to write the summary. <laughs> and uh, oh, that was a blast to listen to. And just uh, talk about it. I think it's I think it's fascinating. I love superhero comics because they because they toe that line so well between like this is this is totally absurd and this is incredibly awesome and is making me think about all kinds of really cool deep stuff that I think is important to think about. So uh, I'm glad we got to do this. Thanks. Yeah, and I would just say to any listeners uh, who are interested in this, Jeff Johns has written Green Lantern for a long time, but he also has a fantastic run on The Flash that did things with the Flash character and his relationship with his rogues gallery, with his bad guys, that no one anticipated, but everyone loved who read it. Oh, man. Uh, he is a, Jeff Johns is a really good writer. I just love Gorilla Grodd out of Flash's rogues gallery. He's so great. I, I love Gorilla Grodd so much. All right, but I think before we go down... Uh, at least 10 minute tangent on Gorilla Grodd and how awesome he is. We better wrap up this episode. Yeah, we're, <laughs> so, we're a little long at the moment. 
Uh, Norman, before we wrap up this episode, we uh, like to ask our new guests, uh, because we talk about great characters and great stories, if you could have a dinner party with any three to five characters from literature or any fiction, who would you want to have at a dinner party just for the conversation that would happen? Um, so I've been thinking about this for the last couple of days because I really, uh, I really don't know a, a, a fantastic <laughs> answer for this. And thinking about comics, I just have comics on the brain. So I would, I would love to sit down at a dinner party with uh, Rorschach, who is probably my favorite fictional character <laughs> of all time. Um, I would like to uh, Luffy from One Piece. Oh, real quick, uh, for any listeners who are unfamiliar, Rorschach is from Watchmen and is kind of a wild card character. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and Captain America. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it very much within the realm Luffy? of what we've been talking about today. <laughs> yeah, he can have all the food. I I like Luffy. He's a fun guy. Luffy's amazing. We talked about One Piece a while ago, but yes. I, I'm, I just trying to, to I'm trying to imagine what kind of conversation happens between Luffy and Captain America. I know. They're both pure-hearted souls. It's, okay. it's a heroic conversation. And then Rorschach's back, th- uh, back there just muttering to himself. Yeah. And eating a can of beans, <laughs> keeping it away from Luffy. And, and he's very cynical. Very cynical about it all. He, keep, he keeps the other two grounded. Uh, yeah, there's no such wow. thing as unvarnished patriotism, guys. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that. Good picks. Yeah. All right, well, thank you for coming on, Norman. It was great to have you. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. And the, thank you for having me. And listeners, please go check out Lord of the Rings Minute. Thank you for joining us, listeners, and please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. If you're a new listener, just a note about our back catalog. We switched up our format a bit at episode 13, so our first dozen episodes are a bit meandering in terms of discussion and length. But you might want to go check out episode number 87, when we talked about Doctor Strange, or episode number 41, when when we talked about uh, Batman. In fact, a new 52 version of Batman. So if you enjoyed this discussion... I want to go check those episodes out. Uh, links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com, and that's where you can also find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We are also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, at Jay Dorowski, and our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. You're going to say, Norman, are you on uh, Twitter? Uh, I have a very not so active Twitter account, but we do have uh, we do have a Lord of the Rings Minute one. It's at LOTR Minute. Thank you. And, and is there any other social media people could look at for Lord of the Rings Minute? Uh, we have a Facebook page and a listener group uh, that you can request to be added to. It's called Fellowship of the Mic. If you would like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways that you can do that. You can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by clicking the support link on our homepage or going to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films or talk about trailers for upcoming films. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. Just a reminder, it looks exactly like regular Amazon and costs you nothing more, but we get a small kickback whenever you go to Amazon. Doc, let's see, protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. That's that one. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long. Uh, so long. Alright, hold on. For some... Okay. Are you I'm okay? I'm sorry.
Uh, my the script for Green Lantern. I don't know why, but my Green Lantern script seems to be missing a chunk. That's when I lost my place. So I'm gonna open up. <laughs> That's how I felt when I was reading the summary at the end there. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna open up a different uh, page because the outro is the same on this other script. Okay. 